So guess what chapter we're in this morning? 1 Corinthians 13, turn your way over there if you have it on your, in your Bible, on your iPhone, on your iPad, however you want to do it. We've been singing about love. We're coming to this incredible chapter on the love that you and I are to have for one another. How many of you had part of 1 Corinthians 13 quoted in your wedding ceremony? How many of you can remember that? Raise your hand. All right, this is a common, I, I've, I've read this in just about every wedding that I've had parts of this love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, does not any. It is, it's a great passage about love. It's great to use in weddings, but it has nothing to do with weddings. It really doesn't. And if you've been with me along this study of 1 Corinthians, you know that this is not a book about love. This, it, this is a book about trouble and problems. And so the apostle has been confronting all the various issues that were in this rather unloving church. They were full of spiritual gifts, but they were lacking uh, what would make those gifts effective, make them work together. And so what we are going to look at today is the peak of the book. It is really the pinnacle. It is the moment where Paul says all of these troubles, the ones we've talked about and the ones we're going to talk about in the next few chapters, the solution. It's right here. Chapter 13. Aren't you finally glad after three months we got to the solution? No, we know the solution all along. But everything that you and I have to accomplish on the mission for the Lord requires this. This is the indispensable ingredient. I don't know if you know, uh, for me, I spend a lot, of, a lot of the week in the Word, and I hope you spend a lot of time in the Word. And when I'm in the Word, I, I always... Am continuously convicted because looking into the scriptures is like looking into a mirror. Some of you might enjoy looking into mirror into mirrors, and you should. I mean, you just are beautiful people. But some of us just don't love to look into a mirror. You know, it, what's interesting is the mirrors back in the ancient days were made out of metal. They were made out of, of brass and bronze, different things, and they would shine those things up. And so you just couldn't look into this wonderful, beautiful, exact mirrors that we have. But uh, Corinth was famous for its brass, Corinthian bronze, Corinthian brass, and it looked like gold. I mean, it was just beautiful. And so if you were to walk around the town of Corinth, you would have heard people clanging on brass and flattening it out and shining it up. You would have heard that noise everywhere you went because they were famous for building things out of this precious metal. And one of the things they would have built was mirrors. And a mirror is mentioned in this book. He says, we, in this chapter, we look into a mirror dimly, but eventually we'll look and we'll see Jesus, what? Face to face. We can't fully see him right now, but we are fully known. He sees us very clear, but we don't see him very clearly. But James talks about the Word of God being like a mirror too, and sometimes we look at the mirror and we, we see we've got troubles, and we walk away and we do nothing about them. And so I brought a mirror today. This is one of the interesting mirrors. It's no longer active at our house, but it's in a drawer. And, uh, but it's, it's a horrible invention. It's really, uh, you can look at it, it's got, it's got two sides, and you're probably familiar with this mirror. This side that I'm looking at right now, is, it gives me a, just the, the traditional view of David Chauncey. And I'm okay with that. I'll look at David Chauncey in the mirror. And if I hold it right there, you know, I can see, I can comb my hair, do whatever I need to do, I have the mirror. But somewhere, somebody along the line designed the other side. And I think you know what the other side is about. And primarily, ladies use this. Maybe some guys use it from time to time. If I really need to, I'll look at it. But it's, it, 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 it goes closer. It goes deeper, doesn't it? 
And it's a frightening thing if you really get a good angle. It just goes right into the pores of your skin. And you realize, oh, I got some troubles. And this side of the mirror is chapter 13. This is the side where he says, you know, I've been showing you Corinth troubles. You have divisions in your church. You have immorality that you're not doing anything about. You have people that are suing each other in public courts, and these are problems you could easily take care of in your own, in your own house. You're even having the Lord's Supper, and when you're having the Lord's Supper, you're, mis- you're, you're managing to mistreat each other in the Lord's Supper. Some of you are boasting because you were given a grace gift that you think is better than everybody else's, and so you're, you have a superiority complex. And not only that, you think your gifts are so great that you're dominating the worship services. And then some of you are wearing and dressing in such a way that you're humiliating your mates. And so we've seen in the mirror of God's Word all of these various things. Some of you think you're wise, but you're not wise. So we've been looking in that side, but he comes to the central chapter, chapter 13, and he flips the mirror and he says, I'm going to go in deep because this is your ultimate problem. Your problem is not a lack of gifts. Your problem is a lack of love. And so when I looked at, I've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13 all week, and it's not been pleasant. Because it, it, it gets in close. It goes to the heart of the matter. Because no amount of dramatic spiritual giftedness can cover up or substitute for a lack of love. Just can't do it. In fact... It can make things a whole lot worse. And so when we walk through this chapter, this brilliant chapter, I'm going to construct it for you because if you don't see the construction of it, it's not nearly as exciting. And so if you, if you will bear with me, I just want you to see something. It really starts in chapter 12 and ends in chapter 14. It starts with the last verse of chapter 12, verse 31, and ends with the first verse, chapter 14. You say, why did they do that? I don't know, but those verses belong together. And so if you look at chapter 12, verse 31, you see the first verse, really, of this section on, the, on love. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. If you were here last week, we talked about spiritual gifts. These higher gifts, we'll talk about them more next week in chapter 14. Prophecy and these things where people can be edified. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. The word earnestly desire is the root for the word zealous. Zaleo. Be zealous about higher gifts. But then he says something really strange. He says, you continue to be zealous for, etern- for, for, earn- for higher gifts, but I'm going to show you even something more excellent. I'm going to show you something It's an even higher pathway that's even superior to this. Don't stop desiring or using spiritual gifts, but this is the higher way. That's verse 31. What is this excellent way? Well, jump to the end of our text. There's two bookends, and you'll notice the bookend, verse 31 of chapter 12, is earnestly to desire the higher gifts, and I'm going to show you what the excellent way is. Well, after he shows us the excellent way, look at 14, verse 1. He says, pursue what? Love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's how we know that's the bookend. 
It begins with earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and ends with earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But I'm going to show you a higher way. And in the end, he says, here's your commandment. Pursue love. Every step of this way, every step of your spiritual journey, you must be pursuing love. Earnestly desire the gifts. There's a little difference between desiring and pursuing, isn't there? I can desire a fish to jump out of the lake into the boat and into my freezer. Right? I can desire that. That would be a, quite a gift, and God could do that if he wanted to. Well, he does. It's called Publix. But anyway, you, we could just say desire it, and then jump out of the lake into the freezer. But love is something we have to pursue. We get the word prosecute from that word pursue. It means to go after. Love is not something that is just a, a gift, and this kind of love is a gift, but it is a gift we must go after. We must pursue it. Desire the gifts. Those gifts are from great, are just of grace. And if God desires to give you the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching or the gift of ministration, he may do that. But that's up to God. This, this love is not up to God. He's poured that love out in your heart. It is now time for you to live that kind of love. Now, we've got to stop right here and do a lesson that most of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this lesson over and over again. It was your first introduction to New Testament Greek. I guarantee you. 90% of you, this is your first introduction to New Testament Greek. You were told there's two or three different words for love in the Greek New Testament. You remember what those are? There's phileo love, which is friendship love. That's kind of love I feel for you. We come together, we fellowship, and I just feel all sorts of phileo for you. Right? Because we like each other, most of us, right? We like each other, it's phileo. And then there is eros, where we get the word erotic love that's romantic that's passionate love that's kind of that uh, um, that uh, love we 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 have with our spouses and and all that kind of stuff so there us is not that's not what we share a lot of you know we there's a limited limited group so we got phileo we have eros and there's stergo love which you probably hadn't heard about that was a word they would use it's it's more of that natural family affection you love your children you love your family and so we have all those kind of loves, and, the, and everybody has that love. Lost people have that love. People without Christ, people of every different religion have eros, and they have phileo, and they have stergo. But you know there's a different kind of love, and it's the love that's mentioned here, and it's called what? Agape love. I told you, some of y'all know Greek. Agape love. What you may not know is that they had to really, they had to borrow this, steal this, verb this word out of the greek language because the apostles who knew jesus and knew the kind of love that he was commanding knew that eros phileo and stergo did not was not that kind of love and not even the original use of agape it was it was used very little in ancient greek very little it didn't have the full meaning of jesus's love so they were stuck they were trying to figure out how do we describe the kind of love that christ demonstrated and lived out for us and that he's commanding us to have for one another we don't have a word for that, so we'll just make one up. We'll take agape, and we're going to fill it with the meaning. And what does agape love? How does it differ? Agape love is not a feeling. I mean, you might feel it. This is not a feeling. And our culture says all love's got to be a feeling. I've got that love and feeling. Great, the greatest gift of love. Greatest of all. You know, I've got that love and feeling. That's, it, agape love may or may not be a feeling. Agape love is a fruit of the Spirit 
It is a focus on others, and it is a freedom from self. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a focus on others, and it's freedom from yourself. It is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. Agape love is a different kind of love. And Paul says, this is the kind of love that you're missing, church. If I turn the mirror on it, I want you to know. And so here's what he does. He flips the mirror and he says, all right, we're going to deep dive and I'm going to show you just what this love is like. I want you to see it up close. And one of the things he says, you need to know this love is critical. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. If you don't have this kind of agape love, maybe the church is extremely friendly and we got all sorts of phileo. We got all sorts of stir. We love our families. We love our children. You just got love and feeling when you come in here. But if we don't have agape, look what it says in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The tongues of men, you're hearing me speak a language this morning. He even says the tongues of angels. And really, you don't have any biblical rationale for why he said tongues of angels maybe that was just the way he was talking about speaking in tongues and uh our heavenly language we don't know that we there's a heavenly language we don't know what the angels speak it might be southern english i don't know but we'll we'll find out one day but i doubt it (laughs) but what whether you even if you spoke with heavenly language if you don't have that kind of self-sacrificing agape love look what he says You're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I already mentioned maybe Paul and the people that he's writing to would have immediately, maybe even during their church services, they could hear people banging, flattening out brass, turning them into mirrors. They may could have even heard, I'm sure they would have walked through the markets. And I've walked through markets like this in different places around the world where they're banging out pots and pans and they're making and fashioning metal things. They would have heard that everywhere. And you know what? When you walk through a bunch of people banging on pots and pans, it is an offensive noise. It's loud. And so what what he's saying is your message may move the people, but your message may be like a clanging cymbal in the ears of God. He's not saying the message that you deliver or the teaching that you deliver or the encouragement that you give doesn't have effect. Because it can. God's word will not return void. You can, just, you can be preaching a great message, but what he's saying, if there is not a love motivation in your heart or the rest of your life's not characterized with this kind of agape love, then your message may work, but it's offensive in the ears of God. It's like clanging cymbal. Even more offensive, than, and, and most commentators would say he's kind of referring to the worship of Sibeli and some of the other idols where there was a lot of banging of gongs and clanging of cymbals that were a part of idol worship. This is harsh, isn't it? He says, look in the mirror. You might be preaching and teaching some mighty messages, but if you don't have agape love as a characteristic of your life, it's offensive to the ears of God. 
That's why Jesus said, like I mentioned last week, on the day, the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I was preaching and it was working and people responded. Did I not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works and use all my spiritual gifts in your name? And then he turns to them and he says, I never what? Knew you. And he goes on to say, you were workers of lawlessness. In other words, you didn't exemplify that kind of agape love. You didn't love your enemies. You were great at preaching to your friends, but you didn't love your enemies. You were great at delivering encouragement to the people you liked, the people that were like you, but you just couldn't bear being around people that were draining, people that required you to be forgiving, people that required patience. You just kind of cut them off. And Jesus is saying, you should be glad I didn't do that to you. Now go and do it to others. And then in verse 2, he says, he, he says, uh, or in verse 3, he says, if I give away all I have, or I, I skip verse 2, I don't want to do that. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have, have not love, I am nothing. I think it's important for you to see that the mountain moves, the spiritual gifts are used, but the quality of the worker is nothing. I think that's important. And so we can look in the mirror, and if we look on this side, we say, hey, we're doing a lot of great ministry. I'm doing a lot of good things. I'm using my gifts. And then we turn the mirror of agape love, and we go, uh-oh. I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'm only doing it for people that I like, people who respond well, people I get along with. But as soon as my patience is tried, as soon as I have to bear all things, hope all things, and I get envious and jealous when people get, get more things than me or their spiritual gift is better than me, we flip the mirror towards agape love and we go, uh-oh. I'm moving some mountains with my faith, but in the eyes of God, I am nothing. You see the importance and necessity and indispensable nature of agape love? Look at verse 3. If I give all I have, like the rich young ruler. What if I was the rich young ruler and turn around and said, hey, here, I give everything away. I'm saved now, and I deliver up my body to be burned. I've become a martyr. Can you imagine? Surely the martyr is going to reap great rewards in heaven. For giving everything away and yielding his body up to martyrdom. Surely, God will repay you. Look what God's looking at. Paul says, and this is, notice how often Paul uses the word I. He starts with, a, this is his personal testimony. He's had to deal with this. And he said, I have been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I believe that he was actually killed and came back to life at point. This man has given up his body. He has given of himself, and I think he's had to come to understand none of that matters. What matters, ultimately, is when that stuff is accompanied by and undergirded by sincere agape love for other people. If I give everything away... And I have not love, I gain nothing. Can I reverse it? Let's reverse it again. 
I'm in a reversing thing today, right? Let me flip it again. So that means if you do have agape love, if it's motivated by agape love, then your message is music to God's ear. Your, your, your agape love is seen as ministry in the eyes of God. And agape love exchanges our earthly giving and our earthly ministry into heavenly treasure. So Paul says, take a closer look at the characteristics of agape love. So what is agape love? Well, look at verse 4. Verses 4 through 7. We're getting close to the either uh, the depth of their problem and the very pinnacle of the expression of love, verses 4 through 7. So if you just bracket off these verses, you're looking at the very uh, culmination of this book, and you're looking at a nutshell uh, description of the Corinthian church's need and the Corinthian church's greatest problem. And you're looking, folks, at your greatest need and your greatest problem in verses 4 through 7. Listen to what it says. It starts off, and I'm gonna, here we go with bookends again. I hope you find this interesting. I find this very interesting. Say, I find this interesting, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. But anyway, look at verse. The, it starts with this bookend, verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. A positive description. Now, if you, if you jump to the other end, verse 7, it's a, it's a positive description. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So at the beginning and the end, you have this positive description of love. But in verses 4b through 6, you have a negative description that helps you see the positive. So it kind of flips it again and says, I'm going to show the ultimate positive nature of what love is by showing you what it isn't. Now, I have put together a little diagram here, and I don't know if it'll help you, but let's go to that diagram that I have on the, on the slides. You'll see the bookends on the top left and on the top right. Love is patient, love is kind, love endures all things, bears all things. That's verse 4, and then on the right, verse 7. And then as, as it goes from verse 4, uh, it starts to descend down through these verses, and then it hits rock bottom. And then it starts to descend back up. And in that bottom section of this slide is verses 3 through uh, 6 here, um, or 5 through 6. And, and what, what it's going to describe is their problem and yet also what we should have. So it starts like this. It says, love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. I don't need to describe why jealousy is a problem? Jealousy is when somebody has something you, you want. It doesn't envy. Uh, that's what love doesn't. This kind of agape love is not mad that somebody gets more applause than you or more stuff from God or greater gifts or gets ahead of you. That's not, that's not love. And there was great jealousy in Corinth over spiritual gifts and over speaking ability. And over whose team they were on. There was jealousy over uh, who had the most money in this church. And then it says love does not brag. Brag. Barclay writes, true love will always be far more impressed with its own unworthiness than its own merit. 
We don't brag. Love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. And you saw arrogance in the church in Corinth. He says, Corinth, you should be ashamed. You are just uh, uh, allowing sin to go unnoticed and not dealt with in your church. And worse than that, you're bragging about it. You're boasting in your liberality. That's arrogance. He says that is not love. Love is not arrogance, pushing back on the authority of God. Verse 10 says, love does not act unbecomingly. Love is not rude. And there was rudeness and unbecoming behavior. People were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, which we're not going to do, by the way, today. They were eating all the food. They were just being rude. They were unbecoming, and some of them were dressing in ways that was unbecoming. It was not befitting of who they were. And it was causing people to stumble. And so we don't act that way. Love takes into consideration the stumbling block of others. Love doesn't uh, brag. And and so we we can look through this and, and really get closer and closer and ask God. And then we get to the very bottom. And here's what I say is is the bottom. It's actually the top. It's the pinnacle of the book. And it's the bottom of the list of of how far Corinth had had gone. And to me, it's the essence of agape love. Agape love does not seek its own. Period. Agape love is selfless. It's freedom from self and focus on others. And if there, was, if there was a phrase that could have taken care of so many of the problems up through chapter 12 and the problems moving on, it would be this. Stop seeking your own. And here's what's exciting. When you start seeking the uh, elevation and the building up of others, you actually, in the long run, are doing yourself a giant favor of joy. You're you're loving yourself by loving others, ultimately, but it won't feel that way as you love your enemies. But ultimately, love does not seek its own. And then it, it continues on, and it's building up towards the other bookend, and it goes on, and it talks about love is not irritable. <laughs> That's always tough on a Sunday morning, isn't it? When you've lost an hour of sleep. I'm proud of you for getting here. And not too irritable. Love does not record wrongs. Some of us have great filing systems. Some of you have a filing system that is detailed on wrongs. Love rejoices in truth, not in gossip, not in rumor, not in insinuation. Love rejoices in truth does not rejoice in unrighteousness and sin. I could preach for weeks on each of these things, but I think you get the picture. And then it comes back up to the end. It says, love hopes all things, bears all things, endures all things. That is the love God requires. So far, when spiritual gifts, if spiritual gifts are the muscles and the tendons and the bones 
of the body, which is what we talked about last week. You are the parts and the members of Christ's body. And then he is the nervous system of the body. Christ is the head, the brain, and his word and his Holy Spirit uh, are in every part of the body. They're in all of us. They unite us all. And we are to be in submission to the head when it tells us to work and to move and to, do, to use our giftedness. He is the, he is the uh, nervous system of the body of Christ. And you and I are the members of the body of Christ then love, agape love, agape love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ that feeds the cellular structure of everything that we do. And without love, you may function for a while and you might get a lot of applause as a great hand or a great eye or a great mouth. You might, get, you might move mountains with that faith, but eventually without love, you will begin to decay and die and become gangrenous and take out members that are close to you. So love, you've got to look closely. I'm using my gift, but am I using it? With agape love, I want to look closer. God, show me. Am I loving my wife, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I loving my enemy? Am I just loving those that are lovely? What am I loving? Well, let's move on. Let me give you these three concluding points. Why does Paul dive into agape love like this? Why does he focus in? And it's a beautiful hymn of love. Because Paul had to work through this in his own life after meeting Jesus. And you can imagine Paul had this intense type A, high D personality. He was driven. He was take no prisoners. He was like, suffer shipwrecks. I can be beat with whips. I'm going to keep on going. He was that type of guy. And God had to work him into a place of humility. And one of the things that God did for him was give him a, a thorn in the flesh. And remember what he said? I prayed, God, take that thorn in the flesh away. And then God said, yeah, but it's helping you be humble. It's helping you know what suffering is like. It is keeping you a place where you can uh, not love yourself, but uh, you can love others. And, and he was being taught by the Holy Spirit, this agape love. And this is something, Paul, that's why I think he starts and ends this hymn with personal testimony. I can have the tongue of angels and men. I can have all knowledge and all wisdom. Do you notice that he listed his spiritual gifts and then said, if you don't have love with these? That's because he had to deal with that. He realized he could accomplish a lot of his mission without love, but he knows if it's without love, I lose. And then he ends it with a personal testimony. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, but now I've become a man. I've grown mature. And Christ helped him grow in this maturity. And where did he get this teaching? He got it from Jesus himself. Agape is the love Christ commanded us. He didn't command us to have erotic love or phileo love. He commanded us to have agape love. John 3, 13. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my, what? Disciples. Followers, disciples are people, people that have been taught by Jesus. You know how they'll know you're taught by Jesus? Is you've got a different type of love. 
an agape love. By this people will know because you'll have this kind of agape for one another. He commanded it, but here's the the great praise. It is a grace and a gift that he gives to all of his children. He's given you the ability to live out agape love. Let me show you Romans 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's agape has been poured out where? Into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when the Holy Spirit came, he gave you spiritual gifts, but he also gave you spiritual graces. Catch this. The Holy Spirit gave you spiritual gifts, but he also gives you spiritual graces, faith, hope, and love. Now, if he commanded it and he has given it to you as his children, he's expecting you to share it and to live it out. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And if you're abiding in the Spirit, agape is what's going to come out of you when you're cut by a brother or a sister or cut by an enemy. You're going to bleed agape. You have a blood type. The blood type for the body of Christ is agape. Not A, B positive, it's not A minus or whatever they all, all they are, B plus, O negative. The blood type of the body of Christ is agape. And we should bleed that when we wound each other, when we're hurting. Agape love is what Christ commanded, it is also what Christ demonstrated. He lived it for us, didn't he? He demonstrated it. Corinth um, has an, is at a unique place there in Greece. There's an isthmus that connects the Peloponnesian um, peninsula to the mainland. And I have a, a picture of this isthmus, which is hard for me to say. Uh, and across this isthmus is a, it's, it's like two miles from one ocean to the other ocean. And if you, if you can get a boat across that, right now they have a canal. But back in the day, back in Paul's day, they did not have a canal. They had what was called a diolkos. And this diolkos means to haul over in the Greek. And what they would do is they'd take their boats and they would empty those boats out and they would carry their stuff on mules and camels and all those other. They would empty an entire boat put it on wheels, on carts, and drag it over the mountain. And one particular commentator that I I have really enjoyed reading thinks that this might have been in Paul's mind when when he talks about the higher way. The higher way. See, the higher way is the Greek word hyperbole. It could mean a greater way, but it also meant they use this word as a mountain pass. And there was a mountain pass, and you're looking at it, and they'd put these boats on wheels, and they'd empty it out, and then they'd put people on ropes and horses and, you know, whatever, and they would haul these boats over the higher way. And what it saved, why would you do that? 
Well, two miles was better than 200 miles sailing around in the dangerous waters. It was much safer to take the higher way, much quicker, but it required everybody. It required emptying the boat. It required getting out of the boat, and it required everybody to take that higher path. Was it tough? Yes. But ultimately, I think Paul was potentially encouraging the Corinthians to realize it's easier to stay down in the boat and float around and, and to go the other way, but it's much more dangerous. The higher road is agape. It's agape. Agape love is the love Christ commandment commanded, and it is the love he demonstrated. When I look at this list, let's look back at that chart one more time. When I look at this list, when Jesus said, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. I've often wondered, what cross do I have to bear? What does he mean? I don't, there's no more crucifixion. I don't have to carry a little literal cross. What is my cross? What is the cross you and I bear? What does it look like to take up our cross and follow Christ? I think it looks like this list. I think it's extending love without jealousy. I think it's extending love when you're hurt. Love when others are rude. Love when you don't get your way. Love for the betterment of others. Love that builds up the church. Love that doesn't demand its own. I think taking up the cross is loving the way Christ loved. That is your greatest challenge. That's my greatest challenge is loving and laying down my life for you. And greater love hath no man than to do that, right? And we often think, well, that means I go out and die and, and defend my country and lay down my life. That's part of it, but... I die daily. That's what Christ says, what Paul says. He says, I am crucified with Christ. He said, I must die daily. What was he talking about? This. I've got to be patient. I've got to be kind. I've got to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things. I can't rejoice in unrighteousness, in what I watch and what I do. I, know, I don't rejoice in gossip. I rejoice in the truth. I'm not going to record wrongs. I'm not going to hold grudges. I'm not going to be bitter. That's what it means to take up your cross and follow the love that Christ demonstrated for you and me. And that's why, folks, we, we come regularly to a table with blood and body broken bleeding it's a reminder of what agape looks like and so as we take the lord's table now i want you just to spend a few moments with your eyes closed looking in this mirror of first corinthians 13 and he puts this right after the lord's supper shenanigans of chapter 11 where they were just not getting along and mistreating each other he puts this right after that and he says oh judge yourself judge yourself look into the mirror of God's work and say God 
I want more than just the world's love. I want agape love. When I bleed, I want to bleed this because you bled that, Lord Jesus. Would you bow and just spend a few moments of preparation as our deacons come. They're going to be passing out the Lord's Supper today. And so be prepared uh, at the end of our time of prayer.